Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast here on Game Wisdom, where we examine the art and science of games. I am still Josh Beister and we have another great cast lined up today. Where We have a new guest on who's an indie developer working on the upcoming game Mondo Museum, which is another stab at the whole kind of management style genre, as we all know from the old days, the bullfrog era of those kinds of kind of sim and management games. And we have the developer on to talk about kind of his inspiration, as well as discussing the genre and design as a whole. So please welcome from Viewpoint Viewport Games, sorry about that, Michelle. Uh, hi. Hello, Michelle. How are you doing today? Um, pretty good. Hi. Yeah, still just um, happy to be focusing on development after the announcement. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know you are partnering with Kit Fox, who's doing the publishing. Yeah, the um, marketing and social stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're not um, they're not funding development, but they're funding the PR side of their hand. Great. I know uh, for regular listeners to the cast, we've had a few of them on in the past, and they seem like pretty great a group of developers. They've made some very interesting games, and they've been also publishing a lot more interesting games in these last few years. Yeah, uh, Dwarf Fortress was even a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we share similar views on our interest in systemic games, mm-hmm. um, stories that kind of emerge procedurally. So yeah, it's a good fit. Great. And definitely excited about Mondo Museum. I know um, I think you and Kit Fox made the announcement at the time of this recording, probably be a few weeks ago. And it's already gotten some pretty interesting buzz, especially with more of these or with a brand new quote unquote like tycoon or bullfrog esque management game being released. Uh, yeah, really happy with the uh, response. And for the people listening to us right now, I know that uh, we are recording this in September of 2019, and that right now the plans for the game will probably be sometime in 2020. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. It'll also be early access. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's for the early access line. Okay. So with that said, for our cast and I, we're going to talk more about kind of the design of Mono Museum, as well as just kind of our thoughts on the uh, business or tycoon management style genre. I mean, I guess, have we ever gotten like an official, I guess, genre <laughs> title for these kinds of games? Yeah, it's tricky. There's Tycoon is pretty popular, but I just say a management sim. Mm-hmm. And like for myself, I know for some of my regulars who are probably listening, we always like go back to the bullfrog era or bullfrog. I guess do we call them bullfrog sims or bullfrog management games or something like that? Right, and that's where um, uh, Tycoon. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, Roller Coaster Tycoon is uh, wasn't bullfrog, but. No. Right. But Bullfrog was kind of uh, the, the first games in the genre that I played, Theme Hospital. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's where my interest started. I think for me, my first one was Theme Park. And that was a very long time ago. Oops. Yeah, I didn't play that one. Like, honestly, I was more of a Maxis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, and I mean, I would love. Sorry, is there's a car alarm <laughs> that you can hear. Um, yeah. I'll move somewhere more quiet. But um, yeah, I mean, is there a, a difference in genre between city building games? There is, but it kind of um, you know, ambiguous. Like there's there's a lot of similarity. In mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, like, when we see, like, that kind of distinction, like, usually city builders go for a very uh, zoomed out or very wide approach to their designs. You're not really focusing on the independent or the lower layer of each building, while the Tycoon games have always been very focused on, like, a singular building or a singular service. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I mean, yeah, there's um, definitely more focus on character man um whereas so for like staff members usually mm-hmm. um all of these games typically have visitors mm-hmm. who come into the, your theme park your hospital whatever it is and then the staff uh so a lot of the character comes through staff members because they they stick around like visitors come and go but staff members mm-hmm. will stick around for the length of your playthrough yeah that's probably one of the big difference in abstract uh, that I'm kind of interested in. Mm-hmm. And we've certainly seen the genre grow and expand, especially with many independent developers who grew up, I guess, the same way as you and you and I did with the Bullfrog-style games now trying their own hand at this. Yeah, for sure. It's um, Though with me, I'm definitely trying to make a game I would enjoy and people who grew up with Bullfrog would enjoy, but I'm also making this for kids now who mm-hmm. were the age when I first discovered these games. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to go for a pretty broad audience, um, hoping to yeah inspire some kids or make them enjoy the genre like I... So before we talk a little bit more about uh, Mondo Museum, and again, this kind of... I think to make this easier for for us, we'll just call it management sim for the for our cash as a, so we can at least have a, a standard definition. But... Before we get there, since this is your first time on the cast, Michelle, for people listening to us, can you talk a little bit about kind of your background when it comes to the game industry or kind of like how you got started? Okay, yeah, this could be a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. (laughs) So I got started as really a kid, maybe like in my early modding games, such as, um, like, I think I started with the Warcraft 2 map editor, making maps, but then I got into making levels for uh, the old Bungie game Marathon um, and kind of continued with modding different games. And then Myth 2, people know it was like Bungie's mm-hmm. real-time tactical game. Yeah. Um, I was really involved in that modding community and um, made a, a Pirates mod that basically was a multiplayer map, but all the units were new pirate units. And that was included, Bungie included it in their like boxed compilation of mods. And I was like, the first time I'd really, I don't know, been proud of like creating something that was packaged and on the shelf. Uh, and anyway, fast forward like 10 years, um, got into more traditional uh, game development, taught myself pretty much how to program, um, did some stints in QA, Bioware, Montreal on Mass Effect stuff. Uh, did some contract work for mobile games and yeah so this is the first i saved up enough money with that and also with a uh a canadian media fund investment mm-hmm. was able to kind of um go off on my indie and like and this is the first game i'm kind of making seriously commercially okay um though yeah with uh with like an actual team and great how many people are on your team for mondo museum 
so basically everyone is part time. Okay. Except me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's a and it's also a small team. So there are two artists, um, Reese Becker and uh Jean-Vier Bachand. Um got a producer, um, Farah and um a writer, CJ Kirshner, who has his history is kind of at Ubisoft and um, mm-hmm. branching out kind of like freelance writing stuff. And CJ also has experience volunteering at the American Museum of Natural History, the big one in New York. So he's bringing kind of the museum, <laughs> real world museum experience to this, <laughs> where I'm just kind of, I've always just a visitor. <laughs> Yeah, I saw like on like the various tweets like for my museum, like a few like people who work in museums are talking about it. Yeah, and yeah, I'm interested in how it'll be received by them because it's not designed to be a realistic simulation. It's not a like capital letters serious game about the bureaucracy of museums and all that. Uh, it's trying to be you know fun first mm-hmm. while also simulating is more of like an exaggerated caricature of what i guess in terms of development like how long has it been since you started making mondo museum i mean i was working on it kind of part-time when i had another job doing things like i made a prototype um that ended up not really being like what the game is now and i started working on various systems while well, I still had a job in my 26 uh but full-time development and then it, I was kind of like part-time off and on uh the last couple of years but when I got uh the big uh, investment that allowed me to fund the game and hire or not hire because then I'm like pay all of my collaborators um that was January of this year okay so it's only been like really full-time ramped up uh, the last nine months or so. Okay. Uh, but the idea for it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I can't even... <laughs> I mean, I, I have this distinct memory of writing in a notebook, kind of just the concept of it, which was, I don't know, over 10 years. But yeah, I didn't really do much. All right. And yeah, like, of course, like, uh, speaking to so many indie developers over this decade, like, I've had a chance to talk to people who've had these long-form ideas for their dream games for years now, and finally getting a chance to make them and get them out for other people to enjoy. I guess, with that said, what attracted you to, again, making a museum as kind of your dream project for this one? Um, part of it was that it had never been done. <laughs> and what's really surprising is that, um, you know, in the genre, everything from restaurants, hospitals, theme parks, schools, shopping malls, you know, pretty much airports, prisons, everything has been done except museums. And I'm honestly surprised, like, since I wrote down that first concept and now nobody else has done one. Um, so that's, that's like a small part of the But also, I've always just been interested in making games that aren't pure escapism. Like, I really like the idea of people maybe being inspired to go check out some real museums after playing, or, like, become engaged with some part of the world they might not have before, whether that's, like, um, you know, geology or dinosaurs. And that has been another very interesting aspect behind a lot of the games we've been playing over this past decade, of being able to inspire people to do something interesting 
or explore a topic that we really haven't seen covered before. I was thinking about the game that was released, I think, earlier this year that was about linguistic uh, challenges or linguistic-style puzzles. I think it was like a Heaven... I can actually look this up really... Heaven's Vault. Yeah, that one. Yeah, it's super fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it's like a weird connection, but uh, that was made... Uh, Ink, mm -hmm. which is a, a kind of a interactive text tool that can plug into the engine and others. Uh, and anyway, that was developed uh, by Inkle Studios, and one of the founding members was somebody who was also in the Myth 2 modding scene, who I collaborated mm -hmm. with nice. <laughs> way back when we were teenagers on Myth 2. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a small industry. Mm -hmm. And it's also very interesting about how many people who are making games today or trying to get in the industry in this decade grew up on the era of these classic titles, and especially in the modding community. I spoke with, uh, I think his name was John from Pavos Interactive, who did the Long War mod for XCOM, and that's how he started his studio. And it's just very interesting about how much modding kind of became the basis for so many up-and-coming developers these days. Right, like it was basically our version of Unity or Unreal Engine um, because those didn't really exist back then. Mm. I mean, and if it did, it was like you could mod Unreal, but you couldn't brand new games with them. You could basically just like riff on Doom or Unreal or whatever. Um, so yeah, so I'm not sure how the 90s with basically modding on D games almost ubiquitous. And then today, where there's almost no modding, but there's more fleshed out engine, um, yeah, it, it will probably result in the same kind of passion for missed along different avenues. Yeah. And uh, when we talk about kind of the rise of like free or public engines like that, that has only been instrumental in getting a lot of people these days interested in game dev and just being able to try things out. But, yeah, as you say, like, we have really seen kind of the downward or the decline of modding as kind of a legitimate or as a major way to try and break into the game industry. I think one of the more fascinating things, like, especially what came out these past few years, would be like something like Super Mario Maker and the second one that came out, I think, this past summer as ways of people trying to test or make video games without the need or the understanding of programming to go with it. Yeah, some of the stuff I've seen in Mario Maker is incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, stuff that makes it feel like a different game. Like, mm -hmm. it's not Mario. Yeah. Which is weird, because, like, all the physics are the same, and, you know, it's using Mario items and tools, but they're creating clever boss fights and using exploration, like, uh, mechanics that are incredible. Like, I don't know how good the uh, levels would be if somebody's trying to break into the industry, mm -hmm. but I, I feel like, yeah, if I was hiring a, a level designer, for, I would definitely accept that kind of thing as portfolio material. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll move on to talk more about the management sim genre in, I think, a minute or so. I guess, like, from where... Oh, I guess here's a question for you, Michelle. I'm assuming, like, uh, where are you based out of in terms of, uh, I guess, your original country? 
Uh, yeah, I'm Canadian uh, in Montreal. Okay. Um, but the team is, so the, the lead artist is also in Montreal, mm-hmm. but everyone's spread out. Mm-hmm. Um, CJ is the only American. And the reason why I ask is that one of the more fascinating things, especially with the work I've done with Game Wisdom over this past decade, has been talking to developers and people in the industry internationally. And it's always interesting to hear, like, how the industry has grown and what's going on with it in various parts of the world. And I know, speaking with other developers from Canada, that uh, Canada has become, like, a very big home for a lot of indie and just game development in general. Yeah, it's true. It's kind of concentrated in three, mm-hmm. I'd say. But, um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky. That, I mean, part of the reason is um, we don't have to worry about healthcare. If mm-hmm. we just want to, like, quit our jobs, go in, there's, it's still super risky. Like, we shouldn't be mortgaging our homes. I probably <laughs> shouldn't have spent all my savings on this for my first game. So but there's still a risk, but it's not as risky being, like, if I get sick. Yes. That's it. Um, mm-hmm. And these kind of exist everywhere, but they're also government. There's government support. For game um, with the Canadian Media Fund, that it's not a grant; it's an investment. So they're going to be um, of sales for like seven years, mm-hmm. but it's a fair trade-off for basic funding. Most of yep, and any way you can mitigate those risks is always a good thing, especially for developers trying to break in. And yeah, like you said, like it's yeah. it's not really wise to take a second mortgage out on your house to try and make your dream game these days. Right. And I also started very late. It's not like I just finished school mm-hmm. and then tried to go indie. I spent, you know, a decade building up skills, working at for another company, mm-hmm. learning, becoming good enough to feel confident. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something to approach with a lot of thought. Don't just um, think it'll work out, especially with how many games are being released on Steam. Like, and after, even with all um, my development experience, I realized it would be foolish to try and launch it without any, like, marketing. So that's why I got uh, Kid Fox involved, because they, they've released several games on Steam. And I think what you just said there, Michelle, is a very important point about basically getting ready to make a game. Because we've seen, I'm sure for people listening to us right now, that there are plenty of first-time developers who start, like we've all said, like just right out of college. And while there is certainly, you know, positives to pushing, you know, right out of the get-go, it's very important. One that we've learned over this decade with so many developers trying to make their games and trying to succeed, that you need to learn a lot in order not only understand how to build your game, but to mitigate all those risks that come with designing a game for, we've seen cycles, you know, two, three, four, even five plus years of development. Yeah, and for a first project, that's pretty risky. You Generally, I think like the common wisdom, uh, if you're a first time commercial, mm-hmm. it should be definitely under development. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and you should expect it maybe uh, not do very well and have a plan. You know, usually, well, like we've been talking about, like on a lot of these casts, like like one to three years seems to be like the safe uh, range. There, it's short enough that you're not going. You're hopefully not banking everything you have on the project, but it's still long enough that you can, you know, dedicate time and you know give it the energy and focus that's needed to make that game. Right, and depending on the genre. Early access can help mm-hmm. get it out there. But 
So the management genre seemed to do really well on early access, as long as developers kind of respond to feedback. Yep. Uh, but yeah, obviously more linear narrative games are not suitable for access. Um, so in that case, it, it's not really Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Obviously, when people think about kind of the kick, the I'm sorry, the early access boom, we can certainly go back to something like Prison Architect, which kind of became the right. poster child for doing an early access cycle right. I think they were up to I think like 33 or 34 months of updates. I know they may have missed like one or two months here and there, but you know they kind of set the standard I think for what a lot of people expect when they see an early yeah. access game. Right. And kind of revitalized the genre at yes. the same time. Like, I can't really think of many good management games mm-hmm. before Prison Architect. <laughs> uh, like, when was the last... Like, all of the Roller Coaster Tycoon sequels that appeared uh, 2000s, 2010s, not... Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 yeah, it's you definitely have to approach early access as... Um, and as, some, as like... A, Providing regular updates, like really listen feedback, not just not just releasing it early and then kind of, and yeah. that's the plan. With I've got yeah, there are several updates, a kind of big uh, kind of monthly thing that'll come out. And we could easily like take like forty minutes an hour just talking about early access alone in terms of kind of like the work that goes into it. But it sounds like you have a plan for the early access period. And I think that is very important. Because as you mentioned a few minutes ago with Kickstarter, like both Kickstarter and early access kind of need that focus. You can't go into it just thinking, I'll just release updates whenever. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, we're going to release an update maybe one this month, one five months later. And then, you know, next year sometime, I'll have another update. Right. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like in secrets. The only reason I wouldn't talk about what updates I have planned is because a lot of that will probably change. But mm-hmm. as soon as that's decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make that public. You know, like um, the Dwarf Fortress developers and uh, Subnautica developers have public roadmaps. Uh, you can see exactly kind of what they're working on next. And yeah, that's kind of the model I want to follow. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen, it is very important to be transparent, especially with your game on early access and trying to keep people invested in it from start to finish. Right. Yeah. I don't want uh, to leave people kind of wondering what the state And it's always annoying when I'm a player because I, yeah, I played a bunch of early access and definitely prefer or will like recommend people the ones where the developers so i think with that let's talk a little bit more about the management sim genre and again about what's going to be happening with mondo museum so um i guess let's begin with more about the management sim and then we'll spend i guess the the remaining part of our cast talking more about what you have planned for the game so um with like management sims in general, as you said a few minutes ago, we really didn't see too many like high quality or amazing examples in the last few years. I know of a few like that are on the independent side. I think they are still in early access. But I guess for you, like in your opinion, when we talk about the quote unquote management sim style of games, like for people listening, what is that about? Like, what kind of gameplay loop are we talking about? Uh, yeah, so it's, to me, there are basically two parts to it. There's the building and customization 
um, which ties into kind of the progression of the game of the game level. I guess we can just call them a level. Like some of these uh, games have campaign, but they can also kind of be played in a sandbox mode where you just go on forever as long as you want. Um, so the building part, yeah, as you progress, you unlock more money or whatever that lets you, and that kind of once you expand, you're able to you know get more money and unlock it more. So there's that loop, uh, and then there's also so that's kind of the building part, and the management part is uh, is really responding to the needs of visitors. Like I said earlier, all these games basically have visitors, whether it's an airport or I guess in prison architect inmate, um, you know, or hospital visitors, uh, and in Mondo Museum, of course, museum visitors. So you're basically they have need that you need to respond to, which are either kind of um, uh, kind of uh, such as wanting food and drink or uh, restroom and stuff like that, or the more specific to the game are related to whatever the theme. So the visitors want exciting rides or they want to hear it of their illness. Um, and yeah, so you do that by, you know, whatever, using items which relate to the theme. And also uh, these items require staff members. So, so you... You have uh, you have indirect control over the visitors. You can't like tell them to do stuff. They have AI. They go on their own, manipulate the environment to satisfy their needs. But the characters you do have control over are the staff members who like uh, are needed to use the items. You know, run the roller coaster or sit in the doctor's office. And uh, yeah, you have more direct control. You can, depending on the game, you can really get in managing individual staff. Member. Basically, all games on the genre are kind of just based property. I guess, like for you, when you're playing a management sim style game, do you prefer the campaign mode or do you like kind of like the free play or sandbox? It depends on how well structured. I mean, I think personally, what I was thinking when I was playing a two point hospital successor to the 90s theme mm-hmm. hospital is that the campaign mode I felt like a lot was, I mean, you can, you can return to previous levels to get a higher star rating i think Mm -hmm. so it's not like uh once you finish a level it's gone forever but i was still missing or not really a fan of starting totally from scratch when you go to the next campaign level so I, i kind of prefer free play modes that can last a long time and you kind of really get to know your building and also the staff members so you can be like oh yeah this this doctor I've had since the start. If he asks for a raid, I'm going to give it to him. Uh, and yeah, you, you get a bit more tenuous personality, I think, with, with sandbox mode. Um, but com- campaigns can also be fun just because it, if you're, it switches things up. It gives you without uh, kind of erasing your best progress, allows you to experiment with things. So yeah, both have their p- pluses and minuses. Yeah, and I think like for me, I've always preferred kind of the campaign structure just because I like having those goals to go after and kind of push forward like that. But I think like as a very weird or interesting tangent, we've seen a lot more of like free player sandbox style gameplay develop or flourish in the open world or quote-unquote survival genre. Earlier, uh, you mentioned Subnautica in terms of its early access development. And, like, those games have done, I think, a really good job of just saying, here's this wide-open space, do what you want in it, and then when you want to start over again, you can do it all again a different way. Right. And, and that's... 
kind of the direction I think I'm going for in the sandbox mode is that it will be complete without goals. Maybe unless you want want it to be. Um, like there will be prompts that might say like you'd be interested to get some small reward to kind of guide players. Like in Subnautica, you get radio messages occasionally mm-hmm. and you're free to ignore them or you can use that as kind of a prompt to go explore a new um so yeah that, I, I like that about that kind of merging of campaign sandbox mm-hmm. um and then the management genre i feel like that hasn't really been done fully like two point yeah. hospital has a distinct mm-hmm. i don't know i haven't looked at the latest prisoner but i, I feel like they maybe have the best integration but mm-hmm. um yeah it's something i'm interested in letting players explore at their own pace with their own creativity mm-hmm. but having the option more direction and that actually brings up i think two very interesting like facets of the management sim genre like i want to uh, go over with you like uh, with something like prison architect in terms of like having that goal to achieve or that thing to do like you said like it's kind of been like we haven't seen too many of these of the management sim genres kind of go for you know it's open but there's also goals to achieve uh we just talked about two point and yeah that was like the last like game i've played that i like that idea of you can return to the hospitals there's an overarching goal but you're still free to experiment but as you said it's still very much a linear campaign you have to do hospital one before you do hospital two etc etc and I just wanted to ask you, like, in your opinion with Prison Architect, I guess, how far did you play that one, or did you play Prison Architect? Yeah, I did. Uh, I think, but I think the last time was before it, like, the 1.0 launch. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I think, but, yeah, so I'm not sure what they've added. Uh, yeah, I think I'm the same way. I, I may have played, like, two, three hours of it at 1.0. And then I haven't looked at it since. And I know that they recently, or I think last year, they sold the rights to Paradox, who now they're picking up with doing more support for that game. And this has always been, I think, one of the, I wouldn't say problems, one of my nitpicks with like the management sim genre. And it always felt like there was one solid game plan that would work. Like, once you get to that point of optimization, whether you are building the perfect theme park and theme, and well, theme park there, no pun intended, or your prison in Prison Architect, that it began to get very samey. And I know, obviously, with Sandbox Play, you are free to experiment and, you know, set things up however you wish. But it always got to that point where once I knew what to do, a lot of, I think, the magic was lost for me with these games. Yeah, that's a problem I don't know anybody has solved well. Yeah. Like, even um, games that you can spend 100 hours in, uh, oxygen not included, mm-hmm. a lot of those hours are starting over. And I feel like, at least for me, once you kind of get to the, like, filled out the tech tree and to um, built the final rocket, it's kind of, you've kind of beat... Um, so, yeah, it's kind of something I've been thinking about. I don't know if I'll succeed, but um, one of the things I'm trying, there will always, hopefully, not always, but hopefully there will be a lot of uh, different CM items get, and this will be done through uh, updates, but also having mod support. So it, hopefully people will add their own items 
And even if kind of the magic of managing a museum is worn off, people might want to uh, build a museum for a certain type of they download off Steam. Like trying to like get to like, this has been, I think, and you mentioned Auction Not Include a minute ago. Like I have friends who love that game who spend dozens, if not hundreds of hours playing through it. But again, like it always got at a point where once I knew what I was doing, I didn't really want to play it anymore. And there's also like a very interesting, I'm not sure we would still call these management sims, but I've been, I don't know if you've heard of the games a Big Pharma or Production Line, or I think yeah. it was. I yeah. played a uh, big pharma, but not yeah, and, and make a make a aquarium, which one? yeah, that the one. big pharma guys. And the reason why I brought those games up was that they kind of went like almost like another layer down, in or another layer deep in terms of the management side, where it's not just you mm-hmm. putting things together; you can actually have some control over how things are working. Like with Big Pharma, a major part of that game wasn't just you make drugs, it was how do you sell your assembly line. And there's some level of emergent behavior in terms of, you know, how things were going, trying to maximize money. It almost reminded me in a way of something like Factorio or Infinifactory, who are definitely not management sim games at all, but definitely go for that that kind of emergent, you know, fine-tuning or micromanagement kind of gameplay. Yeah, uh, optimizing assembly lines. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but Mega, Mega Aquarium, also interesting. It doesn't have uh, kind of conveyor belts or anything, mm-hmm. but it, uh, it goes a level deeper in letting you, like, fully create an aquarium. Like, so, for example, you don't just place down an aquarium already populated yeah. with a certain type of fish, you have to figure out, okay, which fish are not going to eat <laughs> the others? And, you know, how can I feed them efficiently? Um, so, yeah, there are ways to go deeper mm-hmm. uh, that are really interesting. Yeah. And uh, that actually takes me to the second point that I want to run by you about the management sim genre. And that has always been that push and pull between just how deep or how fiddly you want your design to be. Because like we've been saying, a key part about the management sim genre is that level of optimization and fine-tuning, where you're not just you know putting down a building or putting down a service and then you call it a day. Even going as far back as theme park, you could literally decide, okay, how much sugar do I want in my ice cream? And do I want my soda to have caffeine in it or not? And what's my price for it? And like right. all these aspects led to that depth of the genre, but it can also be kind of off-putting for new players. I know for myself, a prison architect, I definitely struggled at the start in terms of, okay, how am I, not only am I having to build this prison, I need to literally set the schedule for everybody doing work. And I have to set, you know, what hallways are guards only and where the prisoners can go. And eventually I started to make sense out of it. But I guess, in your opinion, do you think it's easy or hard to do a tutorial for like a management sim style game? It is. If you're going into that kind of deal and it's required, it's difficult. I'm just thinking of, again, Oxygen Not Include, which mm-hmm. also has scheduling. You yeah. can really set up some interesting patterns. But I got really far in that game uh, with 
without changing the default schedule at all. And I think the best way to do this, make the really complex stuff optional. And mm-hmm. if people want to drill down and make the absolute like min-max everything, make the most efficient building or base possible, they can do that. But tutorializing that, since it's so difficult, like you can assume at that point, that person is hardcore into the, the game and genre, and they will seek out information on wikis and quorum. And that's probably mm-hmm. the best place to have that advanced tutorialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to overwhelm the players who don't care about that with pop-ups saying like, if you're interested, here's how you can adjust the schedule. It's probably best to leave people to discover that on their own too. Mm-hmm. But that requires game design that strikes that balance of not requiring the advanced micromanage. Yeah, like uh, with auction not include in particular, like my brain started to shut down when I got to the point about setting up like the logic gates and uh, the oh, wiring yeah. of that game and. Like with something like Prison Architect, again, like at the high level, you're just putting down rooms and, you know, managing a schedule. You can get really deep in that game with, again, like setting up the wiring for how things work. And it's very hard, I feel, to get that balance right. Because on one hand, these elements definitely add to the depth of the game. They make running your prison or your colony or whatever more interesting. But as you said, like, if you hit the player over the head with all this stuff at once, or if they're not interested or able to figure it out, just how integral should they be to just the basic uh, understanding of playing this game? Right. Yeah, it's tricky. And there are also other ways to kind of add more depth, aesthetic ways. You can, like, Prison Architect, as I recall, has different floor and wall types, mm-hmm. but it always kind of does the same. Whereas... Um, more 3D game, especially the Sims, but, uh, more indie management, uh, having a lot of aesthetic options. So paint the walls anything you want. They're different types. So, so the creativity is not just in the layout, but also customizing it, which doesn't really have any effect on gameplay, but just making a place your own appealing to certain people. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it kind of depends on what your audience depend like what you want to focus but yeah i'm a fan of providing as, as long as there are options options mm-hmm. and i think that would actually be a good segue to talking more about mondo museum but before we do that are there any other like details or parts about management sim design in general that we haven't touched on that you think would be interesting to discuss i think i mean it's just it's been a good few years for the genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, especially with Inver's Parkasaurus, Park Attend. It seems like there's one coming out tomorrow, or it probably will already be out. This is live uh, called Flotsam, mm-hmm. which is kind of a management game about building a base on a flooded water world type mm-hmm. thing, uh, which I don't think that's ever been done before either. So yeah, it's an exciting time for the genre. I feel like it's we're going to be surprised. It's kind of like, you know, a very interesting point because they kind of go par and parcel. The kind of change or the evolution of city builders over these past few years and even what's coming out beyond. I know somebody's working on like a floating city, almost like a steampunk uh, kind of design. Uh, we have Frostpunk that I know they're working on a uh, season pass or years of updates on that. And... Yeah, we really have seen the independent scene really try and push these genres going because, 
as you said, as I'm sure everybody listening knows, we really haven't seen a new city builder or management sim game from a AAA studio in a very long time, unless we count Lolly the mobile, very simple versions of it. Yeah, and the ones that have been made are... I mean, I'm thinking of the Sim City. When did that come out? But Oops. that was a while ago. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't super well received. Uh, but the more indie city builder. And we're seeing, I think, more... And again, I think this is a good segue into Modern Museum. We're seeing more independent developers try to push the genre into either different fields or different areas of study. You know, something like Big Pharma, Mega Aquarium, and of course, Modern Museum... Or they're trying to do something different in terms of the actual sim layer itself. Again, something like again, like Big Pharma, uh, Prison Architect, and so on and so forth. And I guess with Mono Museum, we've been we've talked about it in terms of like the basic like structure of it. But since we're going to kind of get a little bit deeper into it now, like what exactly? I guess how would you describe the core gameplay? of what somebody's doing in the game. Right, so it's very similar to others in the genre that we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, you build up a museum, uh, unlock new stuff, hire staff, uh, and kind of satisfy the interests of visitors. So the difference really comes... So, for example, one of the staff members is a tour guide. Um, another is a conservator that'll fix up or improve different artifacts or exhibits. Mm-hmm. Um, but... So I didn't just want to, you know, kind of make theme hospital, but it's a museum. I wanted to mm-hmm. add uh, something interesting new in terms of the system, the underlying system. So it's not like um, maybe... So, for example, in uh, all the rooms are predetermined, pretty much. It's like a GP's office, nurse's station, the break room. Like, you have no flexibility with those. You can medically customize them with different items, but they're pretty much predetermined rooms. Yeah. And I'm more a fan of the prison architect style, which is um, kind of zoning out rooms and maybe like mixed together a bit. Uh, like maybe there's no wall separate or whatever. Mm. Uh, so there is zoning in Mondo Museum. Um, and the main thing you zone is obviously exhibit hall. So it's not like you just place down an exhibit hall for dinosaurs and then it'll say, okay, now place for dinosaur exhibit mm-hmm. whatever. You zone down an exhibit hall. You can name it whatever you, an icon you think is appropriate. And then you have total freedom to put anything you want in. So for people who don't really have much interest in thinking outside of the box, I guess I'll put it that way, can it, it'll be pretty obvious to them. It's like, okay, they can have all from the same collection. And that'll fine or good. The visitors will be satisfied with that. Um, but you can also create more precise exhibit halls or I don't know what the correct word might be but you could have a subset of ancient Egypt for example be like um, burial and burial practices of ancient Egypt and the afterlife and then if you put items related to that in there it'll give you a bonus I guess to put it bluntly but basically like increase the prestige of the museum prestige Mm -hmm. kind of the the resource that is like five stars other games um and you can also mix items across collection so uh this might be um so yeah i don't think really only kind of shown arts and revealed art for three collections but that are really you know really distinct it's uh, space exploration dinosaurs from 
the late Cretaceous tried to narrow it down a bit. And then, mm-hmm. so those aren't really related in obvious ways, but there is some overlap. So for example, there's kind of a model of the solar system in a space exhibit that you can pair with um, a celestial diagram from uh, an Egyptian tomb. Okay. And that'll kind of create a combo that is recognized. Mm. And it's not totally dynamic. Like these combos are custom made for now. I'm not, that might change, but for now, I'm kind of create, like custom making these combos mm. but, uh, for players to discover. But they do exist uh, for people to kind of experiment with uh, finding relationships. Uh, so that's kind of like my version of designing a roller coaster or whatever <laughs> in Roller Coaster Tycoon. So it's like the like you can create gift shops and restrooms, and those are kind of limited in what you can do with those in the way that placing them in Roller Coaster Tycoon is. But yeah, you can really get into the weed um, exhibit halls. And I think I like from what you were just saying regarding like the zoning concept. I think I do prefer that kind of design again, as opposed to the old days of the management sim genre. That was one thing that I did kind of appreciate with Two Point Hospital that. While you did have to put down, you know, if it's a uh, office, you have to put down a desk. But there's like four or five different types of desks. And you're like kind of free to mix and match as you see fit. Now with Modern Museum, like as you're describing kind of placing down the exhibits and setting things up, is it going to be kind of like a, almost like a tag system where, you know, this item belongs to the Egyptian, let's say, Egyptian, uh, bone uh, category and this item is uh, let's say a, a china but a tapestry and like that's how they kind of fit within these rooms or is it going to be a little bit more i guess malleable that yeah i so the tag system is yeah something i started with but to be honest i'm not 100 percent sure <laughs> what i'm going to end up with uh by launch but yeah i've been i've been considering uh, a tag system to kind of let uh, let people uh, have more, I guess, options and what what they combine. You know, in addition to the dozens of pre-made combos. Um, but I, I, that'll require more playtesting. Maybe I'll implement it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people who play the game can provide feedback on that system. My main worry is it might not work too well, and there will be it'll. People will be rewarded for combining items with similar tags. Doesn't make any once you actually see it in the game. But on the other hand, that might be kind of fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that yet. Uh, but it's something I'm exploring. And also, yeah, and if things are tight, yeah, it'll just be, uh, you'll, like you were saying about, uh, customizing offices or whatever in Two Point Hospital, you can basically place down any decorative or kind of a service item that you want. I, I don't know what the right term for that might be, but mm-hmm. basically the uh, the items that visitors use, uh, which in our case is a water fountain can be placed anywhere, and benches, um, which is uh, kind of similar to the hospital bench. Like, visitors demand it when they're... Uh, in this case, benches are placed throughout uh, exhibit halls as well because the visitors will get tired as they're walking mm-hmm. museum, like real life. <laughs> so <laughs> if they... If they become too tired, they'll leave early. Uh, so you kind of want to provide them with opportunities, stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's kind of the additional layer on top of just the designing an exhibit hall for the exhibit items. You also want to consider leaving space for benches and 
uh, you know, info posts and stuff like that. And, like, with, like, the level, like, uh, I guess the uh, level granularity of how far you're going down, like we said a few minutes ago regarding, you know, how much micromanagement or optimization can be in a management sim game. I guess, have you been thinking about, I guess, what level of detail will players be able to go down my museum in terms of setting on these exhibits? Uh, so right now you can, so the exhibit item is kind of pre-made. You can't, for example, if you think of a display for an item or a bunch of similar items in a museum, a lot of the curation or design, there's the design part, maybe determining what goes on what shelf and how, how the actual display case is arranged. And that, that'll just be pre-made. So for now, players won't have that granular. Okay, I want this vase rotated this way compared to the, the vase beside it. But you can rotate the entire exhibit item, obviously, just not like the individual pieces inside it. Uh, but you can change the display case. So, uh, customize. So right now, the main variation in pretty much every item is kind of a classical look and a more modern look. So classical, I don't know if people are familiar with uh, stuff like the British Museum, like really, really old, have a lot of wood paneling and fa- fancy carvings and stuff in their uh, display cases. And then more modern stuff is obviously streamlined, has more glass or like maybe glass shelving. Uh, so those are the two. So they're basically all items kind of have you have a choice between that uh, and the display cases as well. You can change, you know, a solid pedestal or legs. And that, that doesn't really have any gameplay effect. It's more just aesthetic. Like if you think a certain item might look good on a wind table with the legs, you can do that. You can choose to have uh, a glass kind of uh, display case covering, which will probably have a gameplay effect. Visitors will prefer not having glass between them and the object. <laughs> and that will have a payoff where well, it might um, require more upkeep, like in terms of touch it and wear it down. And you'll have to send a conservator, make sure it's, it doesn't get damaged. And that's kind of the granularity on the exhibit item. Uh, but yeah, there's, there are a lot of customization options that don't really have any impact on gameplay, such as, yeah, wooden doors or glass doors, what type of windows you want, stone walls, brick walls, wooden floors or tiled. All of that stuff is, Pretty much, um, it's kind of like uh, the Sims level of mm-hmm. just do whatever you want. Uh, and granularity in terms of economics, you mentioned uh, being able to determine if there was salt or sugar in coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is, so there will be some of that. I don't know how deep it'll get, but for example, there is a gift shop and a cafe. And the gift shop will give you, is one of the ways of money. And you'll be able to, for sure have some um some kind of menu to like so i'm saying you will because not really sure exactly what will be in launch but the plan is yeah you will have a menu to determine what is available in the gift shop what's available at the cafe um and i'm not sure if you'll be able to set prices for that i'm i mean it's super easy to do it just becomes like a balance but uh but yeah there will be granularity setting ticket prices uh things like that um and yeah, so like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a fan of having uh, a lot of customization options, letting players, you know, really dig in. As, but I don't want to make it necessary. Like, I don't want to punish players for not setting 
the price on gift shop items. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it'll it'll totally be fine to leave that alone. You'll just make more money quicker you go into Mm-hmm. And the one thing that we didn't talk about that I want to bring up about Modern Museum are obviously like the exhibits themselves. Like we've already mentioned about like how they're being tagged or how they're being grouped, but how does somebody get exhibits in the game or get things to display? Right. So a lot of people have been asking that in terms of or in the context of real museums often having their collections built from uh so museums are fairly recent 200 years old just the concept of music and a lot of their initial collections grew out of colonial acquisition which basically looting or one concrete example you can think of uh when napoleon went to egypt they took a lot of the egyptian artifacts back to france and from there those were just kind of around so yeah that, that's a huge black mark on on these institutions and in recent years, there have been a lot of news stories about returning items to the original countries. And the latest one I read, I think, Egypt Museum, returning some statues to Easter Island. And it's great that that's happening. Um, but yeah, I wanted to make this game cheerful and not <laughs> grapple with this dark past. So you don't acquire items by excavating them and taking from other places. Uh, the way it works is so each collection uh so for example the example i use now is ancient egypt so items from that collection come from in game come from uh museum of ancient egypt in cairo it's kind of fictional but based on a and as you gain prestige i mentioned prestige is kind of like the the additional resource there's money and the beach that you gain over time um as you gain prestige, VIP visitors come from these other museums. So they're like the director or the curator of this museum, and they will come, like appear as a visitor in your museum and say, you know, oh, I've heard good things about your museum. Could I agree you alone afterwards? And th- this will be like concrete. So like these rec- or what the VIP is looking for will be actionable objectives. So they'll say like, Okay, this is what I need to accomplish to satisfy this visitor. It's kind of like a mini, a mini goal. Um, and you can ignore it. Like maybe you don't care about ancient Egypt. So you're like, oh, I, if I, if I follow her request, it'll, it'll take my museum in a direction I don't want to go into dinosaurs. So you can, you're free to ignore them, but they do kind of, uh, that's the way stuff is unlocked. So once you satisfy kind of request, you unlock more items from the Egyptian museum that don't necessarily go away. It's kind of a, um indefinite term. I'm thinking there, this is a balance issue that I'll have to deal with in testing. But uh, yeah, so I still haven't decided if it's possible to lose items. When I'm thinking that'll just be frustrating. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, the way you gain them is by satisfying this occasional VIP optional mission, basically. And uh, speaking about like missions and structure, one of the things that we've seen just about any kind of sandbox or fleet free play style game, whether it is a survival or management sim, is having some kind of super long form or long ended goal. Uh, we mentioned earlier with auction not included, building the rocket and launching it. I can think of examples from like Subnautica, Factorio, and so on. Is there some kind of like even with the free play a mono museum? Is there like a kind of super end task that kind of try and achieve? Um, yeah, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it. I think I was just assuming no, mm-hmm. because the uh, intrinsic goals that players will bring to it 
might be enough, but I might reconsider this. But yeah, I mean, the overarching goal is to kind of max out your prestige and build, you know, the acquire as much as you can every and just have, uh, you know, a fully massive running. Um, but yeah, because of uh, hopefully the ability to add new mods collection, it's kind of a moving target. Like you can all change up what collection you're displaying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so for, for final goal, I, I think I was just assuming it's kind of like uh, maxing out your your building size and prestige. I guess I'm thinking of like, I, I, I don't really know what the sandbox in two like, but in, uh, or if actually I only played the campaign, mm-hmm. but um, in Sim Tower, for example, it's like, okay, once you've got a five star rating, that's, that's the end. Or like you unlock a final item to kind of place on top of your tower. So there mm-hmm. might be something like that. Like once you max out your, you get kind of a uh, prestige achievement monument to build. But, um, yeah, it's not something, I mean, there's so many, I'm so, I've been so concerned with, uh, kind of making sure the early game type stuff will be fun that everyone considered uh, an end state. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the rocket in, the rocket in, I think in both, like, it's kind of funny in Subnautica also has a rocket. <laughs> and I think, uh, Oxygen not included in Subnautica both added that like well into her. Mm-hmm. so it'll probably be the same all right let's see what's also like yeah it'll be something i'll definitely have people who buy the games for feedback on what the absolute and i think i know the answer to this question but i definitely want to clarify for people watching us or listening to us right now are you planning on using i guess steam workshop or having kindly like modding capabilities built into mondo museum yeah so modding will be in for start when it launches in early access, uh, should be possible mod it in a limited way at first. So I think initially you will only be able to mod in exhibit item. So, and it's a very straightforward process. Like it's the way I, I've already have this in now. So it'll probably definitely be in for like as soon as it launches. It's the way all game data is loaded. There's basically no difference between the collections that will ship with the game and other people make. Um, and yeah, so the way these mods are made, you don't need to mess with the file. Mm-hmm. All you need to bring to obviously the art. So a 3D model is textured and it's super simple to just convert that into a beer in the game. Uh, and then over time, like eventually I'd like to add more mod support for, you know, any, any kind of decorative item, any wall material or visitor clothing, stuff like that. In terms of modding the system, it's trickier because, I mean, I would love to do that, um, but I haven't built the game for that. It's, it's, I mean, this is such a small, uh, and I'm the only programmer that, you know, some stuff had to be cut for scope. So it, it won't be as uh, robust as, for example, City Skylines, mm-hmm. which I think allows you to mod the yeah. interface. But I don't know, maybe far in the future or the next game will allow that. Uh, but you will be able to mess around with sandbox settings so for example you can set how much to start with or there will be a whole bunch of variables that you, people can just kind of um customize the, like the variable uh you know make visitors make more easier to satisfy if you want so like after the announcement i heard from somebody who asked about if they could just have infinite money <laughs> for their child to play like if like a little kid just mm-hmm. wants to make stuff without worrying about any systems that'll be possible through in-game settings you won't need mods to change difficulty 
but yeah, obviously, because with my body and everything like that, it would uh, want it to get in and should. And yeah, and uh, it'll be Steam Workshop. Uh, and for it'll also be possible to install mods uh, if the game bought on. I'm not sure if they're if it will launch on other stores immediately, but yeah, you can manually install. All right. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, gameplay related uh, to bring up for Mono Museum. I guess, are there any aspects of the design that we didn't touch on yet? I suppose not. I mean, I, there, yeah, a lot of details are still being worked out. So the broad strokes are basically what we talked about. I think cool. I mean, there is a lot of really cool stuff in the game, but it'll come through early access up. Um, I guess one thing I could talk about with the caveat in the future in an update, definitely not, unless the launch delayed. But uh, so one of my issues with games in this genre, yeah, like after a while, they become Mm -hmm. And what I love about uh, stuff like Dwarf Fortress or Remworld are stories. So one thing I want to get in update are kind of um, special events that occur. In, there will be a visual component to it. Like, so for example, a uh, exhibit item might break down in kind of in, like a funny way that makes visitors kind of terror, but it'll kind of happen tied to choice based text events. Uh, so thinking of a game like I mean, any game where you kind of have multiple choice on you to respond to event, uh, but the options will be tightly integrated in the state of the game. Uh, so for example, it'll dynamically generate these based on what exit items you have mm. in your museum. Like it'll be a text event, but it'll say it'll reference an item you've placed down. Okay. And then, and then the options will be, will add a kind of strategic or, I don't know, it, it'll, it'll be a, an interesting decision where you have to sacrifice something for the benefit of another. So, for example, you might have to be presented with a choice to pay money, prevent an exhibit from uh, breaking down, uh, and being out of out of uh, service or like having to be repaired for like two weeks or something, or you let it go and see what. Happens. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so I want to have kind of dynamic appear throughout both campaign and sandbox. You can think of it also as kind of like. In these hospital theme hospital and two point, uh, occasionally you'll get an outbreak. The siren comes up and people, uh, mm-hmm. like a huge crowd will come. Um, so basically that except more variety, not in two point hospital and theme hospital. That's kind of the special event that occurs really. And yeah, I'd like to have with procedural generation and in game data, just have kind of like an infinite amount. Uh, but yeah, like I said, Probably in an update. Uh, All right. One quick question: Like we're going from like an aesthetics or presentation point of view. We've already talked about having stuff like uh, astrology or uh, planetarium kind of displays, dinosaurs. Um, for people listening, like I guess, what periods or like any other like aspects of culture are you planning on having as possible displays in the game? Uh, so th- there are three broad categories. There's natural history which includes dinosaurs and is kind of stuff you find in a tree museum uh, about the planets. And yeah, so the dinosaurs one are in, is in the teaser and screenshots. Uh, and the other one that's uh, planned, but hasn't really, I don't think, started our Earth sciences. It's kind of like a broad category, but it's like uh, all like volcanoes, geology, so a lot of them, like hills and stuff, uh, stuff about the weather. And a lot of these exhibit items will be dynamic in a way that 
real world museumite uh, exhibits can't be. So for example, the volcano will actually like have some particle effects. When it goes wrong, it'll erupt a little bit, even though it's a tiny model. Or, you know, some weather event might uh, like accidentally spread outside of its display case. Um, not every exhibit item will have dynamic events like that, but a few key ones will. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's natural history. Then there's civilization, there's ancient Egypt. And the other one planned right now, early imperial China. The exact date might change, but basically um, very early. With the same kind of uh, broad, it's like a kind of a broad survey an era so it'll include everything military politicals um and then there is science and technology is kind of your typical science technology museum which has space stuff um and the other one planned right now energy system which is also kind of vague but it will include basically everything from beam power nuclear it'll it'll have exhibit items for how we generate maybe how it goes wrong as well <laughs> uh, and yeah it, it, it fully it hasn't fully been flushed out, but i'm doing that basically um but those are six that are planned each collection right now probably i don't want to say give an exact number but um it'll it'll definitely be total 100 items exhibit items and then throughout early access yeah the plan is content update and hopefully people will fill in with mods up there and yeah so it's not uh, so yeah, pretty limited in scope, but I've got a long list of potential collection. And with that, again, with the game we're talking right now, it's not even on early access yet. There's only so far we can talk about in terms of design, but I think that may be a good time to, or a good spot to end the castle. And we can always have you back on in the future, Michelle, maybe closer to the game's early access or after it, to kind of talk about how the game has grown. Uh, yeah, for sure. Definitely more design stuff will be nailed down by then. So yeah. I think with that, I just have a quick set of wrap-up questions for you, and then we will end the cast for tonight. So sure. I guess the first one, are there any other aspects of the gameplay of Mono Museum that we have not touched on yet? Um, yeah, I don't think anything solid. Okay, really. all right. So, uh, for the people listening, we've already mentioned that Mono Museum is planning on going on early access in 2020. Do you have an estimated idea of how long it will be on early access for? Um, I think that depends on, first of all, how well it's received. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping there's a really uh, involved community that'll, you know, help with uh, feedback. And, but yeah, yeah it's not... Um, I have an idea of where I want the game, like where I want the game to end up for version 1.0. Mm-hmm. Um, and those will be provided with updates. But yeah, that might change depending on, you know, if players really want something that isn't there or planned yet. Like after the announcement, somebody mm-hmm. in the Discord, I think, was talking about um, greenhouses and uh, a kind of a. Uh, Brains is the the word for a uh, garden. Terrarium? Yeah, uh, the botanical garden. Okay. So, yeah, and I was like, oh, that would be really interesting to an ability to, you know, bring an exhibit outdoors and make a botanical garden. So, yeah, I don't know if there's demand for stuff like that, but it's not something I want to be in early. I I would be happy with one year, but uh, 
Great. And I guess, do you have any final thoughts or any you would like to say to the fans listening to us right now? Uh, just that, yeah, I'm super excited to see the response to it. Uh, there is a Discord at um, Kid Fox Games is running. So you can find a link on kidfoxgames.com. And basically their Twitter account as well is where all about the game. Mm-hmm. People want to keep up to date with it. Okay. Uh, their Twitter and their and yeah, if people want to, you know, throw out, throw out ideas, it's kind of early now, but I don't know. I, yeah, I'm interested in hearing kind of what people imagine. I mean, the only thing is, I'm sorry, <laughs> but it's been requested a few times. But there won't be uh, multiple floors. Oh, okay. It'll be it'll be like pretty much every other, you know, even Two Point Hospital. It had a, they kind of stuck to one floor, and yeah, there are a lot of. Uh, practical reasons but just in terms of scope and the size of the design challenge of making pulling off two floor multiple mm-hmm. floors when it's common genre like no you're that out yet yeah uh, so it's super difficult just yeah so for scope that will not that's the one thing uh, if you suggest i'm sorry but mm-hmm. um yeah. but yeah anything <laughs> else i'm open and uh if people want to follow you or mondo museum directly do you have a twitter setup uh, yeah, so I do have Twitter. I don't, in the future, I probably will posting more about it. Um, stuff that maybe is more in progress or developer oriented, not as polished as the stuff that goes through KitFox. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if people want to follow me and don't mind about non-game related stuff, uh, then yeah, it's, uh, Michelle McBride. I'm sure you have show notes or something, but it's M-I-C-L. And CBRI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hoping now that it's been announced um, to get a lot of development up in. Well, I think with that, we will end things for today. Michelle, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon. Definitely best of luck with Mondo Museum. Again, with us recording this at the tail end of September, still quite a few months ago before we see early access. But I am a huge fan of the management sim genre, and I always like to try out each one that comes out. And again, especially with kind of the dearth of them these last few years. So I'll definitely be looking forward to this one. And like I said, after the game goes on early access or whenever you're free, we can always have you back on for another chat. Uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks so much um, having me on. Not a problem. So, with that said, for the people listening, we're going to end the cast here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out Mondo Museum again when it launches on Early Access. And if you want to follow me, you can find me on YouTube as Game Wisdom, Twitter at GWBicer, and we have our Discord open to everyone. If you are a developer working on a game or just want to talk game design, feel free to get in touch as we are always looking for new guests. But with that said, thank you for tuning in and come back next week for another discussion on the art and design of games here on Game Wisdom and the Perceptive Podcast. Until next time, take care.